life, and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are brutal. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. Joe Bakti, welcome to the Biohacking Secret Show. Great to be here. So we are going to talk about the healthcare system and the care gap and how people can use preventative screening and early diagnostics to extend lifespan. That sounds good. Before we dive into all the fun stuff, maybe you could give us a little bit of your background and uh, your origin story. Yeah, I'm like, uh, well, I was born uh, to two uh, physicians who are also life science researchers. So that was a good combination. I got full on, you know, my mini medical education. My first 19 years, dinner table, my dad, my mom always told me about cell membranes and cholesterol and stuff like that. And so that was very interesting. Um, then... So do you think cholesterol causes uh, arterial plaque buildup and heart disease? That's a very long story. I just know without, <laughs> without cholesterol, you would be dead in 60 seconds probably. So I you agree. Can, you have to be a little <laughs> cautious there, especially <laughs> with uh, lowering cholesterol. I mean, we have to understand that every cell membrane, your entire body runs on cholesterol. So this is an incredibly important thing. And it's pretty clear that I don't think that's the cause of anything. There are, you know, uh, shared causes that might cause elevated cholesterol. So it becomes an indicator that there's a problem potentially. Um, but lowering cholesterol, when you look at the statins, uh, the statistics on the statins, highly dubious. There's like, a, I forgot the name, but there's a physician in Great Britain who got caught, totally canceled, who basically came up with these statistics. You know, how many statins do you have to actually have to give to how many people in order to have any kind of change in mortality? And it's like such a tiny, tiny thing that very debatable if that is worth the whole operation. And there's a pretty strong connection with dementia and cognitive decline. Not to take yeah. you on a tangent there, but I, I just had to ask while while we were letting it rip. I have to, I have to always be, you know, this is I always have to be cautious because we are in the medical field and you know how it is. And the level of evidence required to make firm statements is very high. But um I'm with you. There are clear indications that there are neurodegenerative effects potentially there's a tendency to show like you know like lowering cholesterol can be dangerous and has all mm -hmm. kinds of thank you thank you please continue my friend so dinner, dinner table with the parents getting getting a med medical education for the first yeah. 19 years of your life <laughs> exactly i was actually pretty good in some you know i did some uh, exams actually just for fun especially microbiology when i was 19 i was not bad top top docile so 90 percent of med students were worse than me uh, but that was just a fun thing. It was unfair because my dad was a very good teacher. Um, so then I actually didn't study medicine. I found it too. I have heard enough like at that point. So it's like, I get it. I want to learn more stuff and became an economist. Long story why, but I don't regret it, even though economics also suck a little bit as a discipline. They do. But I was an econ major for a little bit. And I'm like, get me out of here. Oh, interesting. But uh, the topic is super interesting. The so-called science is a little sucky. But it's good to, to think about it. And then I became an entrepreneur to shortcut the whole thing. I was in venture capital a little bit and then started Quantine, my first like bio company. And that's still going and looking good. But we also, I'm doing more than that. So that leads us to Serenity um, that, you know, I kind of created, which is the precision medicine 
uh, and medical intelligence system to do a lot of things that is what we describe as the future of medicine by really focusing on prevention and early detection uh, on a totally new level um, by using modalities uh, like complete genomics, but also complete full body imaging uh, and connecting these modalities with a new form of medical intelligence. And that's one of my favorite topics because the problem is if you do all these things, why conventional medicine doesn't like data too much is because the physicians don't know what to do with the data. And once you have the data, you better do the right thing because otherwise liability and everything. And so these new modalities change the data situation for the physician from having five data points. Like basically I have chest pain, I'm male, I'm 42. Okay, thank you. Two billions of data points, right? You know, what comes out of a liquid biopsy or even like a, a full body MRI is 25 gigabytes. So the physicians have no clue what to do with this. And of course, specialized radiologists and specialists, they know what to do with it. But what we needed to invent is we basically in the middle of this sits generative AI. There are medical intelligence officers, like that's a new job we invented, right? People who can handle complex situations and a lot of data using AI and using physician experts to basically generate much more holistic insights into your body using these modalities at, at reasonable costs. Because all that stuff happened before we did it, but it cost you 30,000 bucks. And now it costs you four and a half thousand. So that's a very important change. So that's where we are at now. So serenity is an important focus of mine. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's very exciting what's happening. So when someone asks you, if you're at a cocktail party and someone asks you what, what Quantagene is and what you do, what's like your elevator pitch? Well, Quantagene is a genomics company. The elevator pitch is more for serenity. And serenity... Because quantine, that's more for clinicians and, you know, how you deploy this. Serenity is a separate entity. And what's happening there is the elevator pitch for cocktail parties is its minority report for medicine. So basically it's like, you know, it's the future of medicine where it's like minority report where you have, you know, this iconic image with Tom Cruise at the screen. That's what we actually do. We have these, what we call medical intelligence officers that work with physicians, but are not always necessarily physicians who know how to interact with the data and the AI to see massively more about your health than anyone else. And they connect that to, you know, the screenings and the imaging and the genomics and so on. And that allows us to, I mean, I have so many stories all the time now with patients, you know, last week we detected a prostate cancer completely random. No one had a clue. We had someone to get out of a very bad situation um, neurologically. That's another case where they basically, no doctor could help them. They had deterioration of all kinds of things. They couldn't even walk anymore and the doctors just couldn't find anything. And of course, we quickly saw that's a functional medicine issue. You can't, you know, you will not find anything. There's some autoimmune problem going on. Uh, there was a diet related issue. Um, then we had another case totally different where someone had a breakdown of their kind of hormones in their thirties, a male, and no one could figure out what it is. We found a tumor in the pituitary gland, benign tumor that was basically putting pressure on, on, you know, FSH and FH. And that was a cascading problem with testosterone. So again, you need to find the tumor, right? And, and most people that just do a little hormone testing say, Oh, something is off, like eat more zinc or something. Well, you, you also have to look if there's some real problem. And in this case, there was 
there was a problem, like a benign microadenoma is like a small tumor. And normally, you know, the brain surgeons say, well, it's not really a problem, it's too small. But if you then also have these effects on the patient, it becomes a story. We had them do the downstream testing and everything. So as you see, these are very, very different cases. And that's the problem with current medicine, that you don't have the centralized center of competence that can look across everything and see the right and determine the right cause. Right. If you go with the neurological problem to an oncologist, they're just not going to fix the problem because it's just not cancer. And if it is cancer, the other guys are not going to fix it. So you need someone above that who sees everything. And that's kind of what Serenity does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And um, it, it's also interesting with some of these situations where there's there's hormonal imbalances or hy- hypogonadism. There can be pituitary adenomas, but there's also a lot of cases where there's head trauma and concussions that yeah. then that then lead to uh, hormonal issues down the line. Um, so your process involves questions and certain diagnostics. You mentioned like full body imaging and that sort of thing. Yes. And, and now we've got. I mean, I'm sure you're you're aware of Tony Robbins' book, um, Life Force, that came out, and and they've got they've got a number of diagnostics. I, I'm I don't know. I, I'm not sure what your take on those, but I haven't seen like a tremendous value add, especially for for the for the amount that they're charging. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about like you know coronary artery calcium score, but really like that it's so late in the disease process it's not that beneficial and 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 i think you're much better off looking at oxidized ldl and apob and lp little a and things like that early on so i'm kind of curious on your approach and what differentiates it from some of these guys that are out there that are excellent marketers but i'm not seeing the value in proportion to what they're charging and i'm interested in your take on that too maybe you disagree with me no we are we are definitely like we have one weakness it's very clear what the weakness is. The weakness is marketing. So in marketing, we are too involved in medicine and that makes us worse at marketing. We are going to fix this at some point, but that's our weakness. And when we go out there and look at the other guys, uh, first of all, we don't see anyone as a competitor because even people who do very similar things who cost like five, six, seven times more, they can benefit from us into integrating us, right? And, And into their efficiency. And then life force is not even a compare. They're just doing something different. Um, the problem is, even though we love the biohacking community, is the biohacking kind of culture that is also life force. It's one of these examples. It's too much being in love with little devices and gimmicks, right? And then throwing them against the wall and saying that it's kind of a thing. And that's we are kind of the, on the extreme opposite, which is marketing-wise not great, but medically it's great. Um, where we say, well, life is complicated, patients are different. There's a whole range of modalities and treatment options from biohacking to functional medicine to conventional medicine, of course. And at the center of this problem stands not one tool, like, oh, just inject some testosterone or something, or, or measure this and that. At the center of the problem stands medical intelligence. And medical intelligence Needs to, it's like a funnel and it has to start from the top. Okay, who are you? What are your symptoms? What are your problems? What are your goals? What is your age? And so on. And from there, you have to have complete understanding and complete oversight over the entirety of all medical disciplines. Of course, no one had that pre-AI. So what we invented as a unit that has that because we are leveraging generative AI plus medical expertise, plus that new medical intelligence officer job role, 
that is trained and really understanding vast amounts of information fast and working with AI and physicians to boil it down. And that allows us to be good at a lot of things, but especially good at seeing the big picture. And then from there, we derive what is the narrative here? What's even the problem? And that can be a preventative strategy problem, by the way. You don't have to you know, be dying or something. We, we can also have in that case. But if you just say, I want to be super healthy and want to maximize longevity, that's also a problem you can tackle. And then from there, you look at the patient, you, you start with a comprehensive data intake. You then derive like a holistic image of the patient. And then you go into diagnostics and treatment or whatever you want. And all these things are very tailored because people are different. And that includes the diagnostics. Like I'm not throwing the same diagnostics at everyone with the exception of certain like full body MIs, for example, and complete genomics, because that's not a specific diagnosis. We just need to know the baseline here. And then certain things like A1C, for example, there are certain like fundamental foundational tests that don't hurt. But from there, do you go to endocrinology? Do you do hormone testing? Do you do mineral testing and vitamins? That shouldn't be standardized, right? That should be based around what's even going on with that patient. What's the objective? That's, of course, what no one wants to do because a good marketer say, that's stupid. That's not a good business model. We want to have like McDonald's. We want to have a menu of five tests and tell everyone they need these five tests and, and, and put it into a monthly payment because that's easy for us. But that's not good medicine. That's just good business. And so what we are doing, I mean, this is a very revolutionary step. We are basically saying we... we Say medicine and patient first. Now we have extremely powerful tools to do to make a big leap. Can we create a completely custom protocol for every patient at reasonable costs and significantly? We have only one KPI. The KPI is longevity, reduce the risk of death. So we believe once we have 10,000 members and a cohort, we will be able to show within 12 to 18 months that we have significantly lower deaths. And that's, and with significant, I mean significant, like. 25 to 50% lower than the than the equivalent, you know, matched socio-demographic cohort for obvious reasons, because we'll detect everything early stage and that extends life. So that's kind of how we think, but we are also beholden because of that strategy to reality, which no one else is. So we, we have to basically measure ourselves, do we really deliver that or not? And you mm-hmm. can't that. You have to, you have to deliver. So how, I mean, maybe, maybe we could kind of get into examples of how this works and, and specifically like, you know, the process that 20questions.life takes people through that that you have determined to be the most impactful. Because at, at, at face value, it seems very difficult with all the nuance in and all the factors that affect both all-cause mortality and the growing list of chronic and degenerative diseases that that could be captured in 20 questions. So I'm very interested in how you guys have gone about doing that. Well, the 20 questions, that's just a preceding platform to Serenity, right? So 20 questions are free. You can use the 20 questions and mm-hmm. it's actually more than 20, but it's 20 sections of questions. And they create a baseline mm-hmm. mostly to identify preventative care gaps, which are very life-saving to close them, by the way. Uh, so, oh, you relate to your cancer screening, you relate to your lipid panels or whatever it is. Um, and that is an onboarding platform to basically say, well, now you know your care gaps. We can help you find the right doctors and close them. But we can also help you to have a much higher precision insight into what's going on. That just costs money, but that's up to you to decide that. So the 20 mm-hmm. questions is basically our take. 
how can you get this medical intelligence to as many people as possible for free? But of course, that's not as powerful as Serendi. That's just a precursor that gives you something that we could produce for free um, where we don't have humans involved because it's fully automated. It's highly effective, but it's targeted towards the very bare bones standard of care, mm -hmm. which is the biggest problem in America, by the way, this standard of care gap. 92% of Americans have not completed standard of care prevention. Can you explain that a little bit? So standard of care is basically standard medicine. In preventative medicine, uh, standard of care procedures are, for example, you know, you need colon cancer screening starting with 45 every 10 years, depending what modality you use, maybe every year. Um, for women over 21, they need certain, you know, OBGYN uh, primary uh, preventative care measures. Uh, for people overweight, uh, you know, over 45, uh, they need A1C testing every three years and things like that. So that's very bare bones because we would actually recommend more. But we give the reason these recommendations exist is because they have proven two things. Number one, they're medically highly effective in preventing death. And number two, they're economically effective in preventing costs. And so, of course, normally we are also adding things that have not been proven to be economically effective for the more advanced systems, because we assume people are not are less interested in the economic effectiveness. They just don't want to die, right? Whereas Medicare says, well, if you, we'd rather let you die if you're too expensive. And that's like probably not great to pitch to people, but it's like, that's how the government, the insurance companies have to work. So mm -hmm. the 20 questions takes care for all the procedures that have been proven on both dimensions. Because that's like- Can, you, can you say that last that last part again about, about Medicare? Because I think I agree. And, and I don't think a lot of people even think about it. Obviously, you've registered. You and I have accepted it as a reality, but many people don't even think about it. Well, the funny thing is, it's not funny, it's very cynical, but the amazing thing is, it's not a conspiracy theory that the government lets you die if you cost too much money or the private insurance. It's literally the plan. Like, you can read that up. There is a number, the famous 50,000 quality number, so if you cost more than $50,000 to extend your life at full health for one year, there's a number, $50,000. If that costs 55,000, they pull the plug. Mm -hmm. And literally, that's like the discussions. You can read this up. These are academic papers saying that's not worth doing. It costs 55,000. Mm -hmm. oh. So what does cost 55,000? It costs in average $55,000 to extend a human life at full life quality for one year. And that cannot cost more than 50, otherwise out. And mm -hmm. that basically determines what's being paid for. We also have to understand, like, they face certain realities. Like, what are you going to do? You have, there's limited money. But we mm -hmm. have to understand if you think as a human. Is there, like, though? Is there limited money? Well, that's a whole different question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you look at how, many they've, how much they've been printing. It's backed by nothing. It's unlimited. <laughs> Well, at face value, it's the... the I don't think money's the limiting factor. I think there's more involved. That's my take. That's going into a rabbit hole. But what I'm saying is like, you know what I'm saying? Like there is a number and people have to understand that. If, if for example, why is serenity not paid for by insurance? Why does not everyone every year get a full body MRI and full genomic workup and multi-cancer detection in the blood? Now, the politically correct answer to that is well, because there are too many false positives, overdiagnosis, blah, blah. Well, you can address it with one simple tweak. 
well, why don't you also have a competent medical intelligence power physician look at your stuff for three hours? Because then all that goes away. There is no overdiagnosis anymore because people make the right decisions. They take enough time. And the true answer to that is because it costs 5,000 bucks. And 5,000 bucks pushes you way beyond this $50,000 limit because that's 5,000 bucks for everyone. So you only save every 10th person or something. So you're at like way too much money. It's too expensive. Or every 20th person, so you had $100,000 cost for actually extending life full, right? So that's how decisions are being made in healthcare. And that's why you should not rely on your insurance because they're just going to pull the plug. Everyone kind of knows that a little bit. Like, I don't think anyone out there thinks it's all fine, but you're right. A lot of people are not fully confronting themselves with that reality. Yeah. And and for for full disclosure, our audience knows I like quote unquote conspiracy theories. I enjoy exploring the nuanced nature of our reality. Recently, it turned out that roughly every second conspiracy theory is just the truth two years later. So exactly, yeah. exactly. And and there's there's a lot of evidence and data points that would suggest a lot of what happened with the uh, with, with the COVID agenda was largely economic. And the fact that there was a lot of people that were no longer producing they had pensions and tremendous financial liabilities, and that needed to be reduced in order for the current economic system to continue and not fail. Who knows? We'll see. Okay, so full body MRI, full genomic workup, and then are you using the the Galeri, the Grail cancer test that screens for like 50 different types of cancer in, in one test? No, we are very skeptical of Galeri, and we are actually using the Quantine system. Um, not Galeri. Uh, Galeri has a bunch of problems. Like what system are you using? Quantines. So our company. Oh, your company. Developed. Yeah. So there are basically a bunch of companies who have developed things similar to Galeri. I think much more powerful than Galeri, like ours. But there's also Garden Health. There's Exact Sciences and Thrive. There's Freenome. All of these systems, in my opinion, are a little more robust. Uh, Galeri was really rushed. And it's like a whole weird setup talking about conspiracy theories. So it was like spun out of Illumina, raised $2 billion, partially from pension funds, attempted two IPOs, both failed, then suddenly was bought back and the CEO and CFO were exchanged three times in five years. And then it suddenly was bought back by $8 billion. Then Illumina's share dropped 20% and lost $14 billion. And now suddenly the whole thing, now the CEO has resigned from Illumina. Illumina. Carl Icahn took an ac activist investor share in Illumina and said Grail has to go. That's a total joke and destroying Illumina. And now they're spinning it out very likely soon. And the European Union and the FTC blocked the merger. So this thing is like in a total disarray. And Well, I think your marketing is fantastic. You just need to put this out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, <yes. laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, now yeah. I want to. Now I want to use yours. I mean, we've had clients get the Galeri test. I hear all this. I go. I had no idea. I'm interested in alternatives. They just reported 400 false results. It was also in the media and the in the Wall Street Journal. So there are issues. Let me put it like that. Mm -hmm. And their their claims are ridiculous. We are not making these level of claims. I think they are going way overboard. They already changed it's, language. It seemed too good to be true. Exactly. Like the science is not there. Like there mm -hmm. is no clear evidence for this stuff. When you read the actual papers, their first proof of principle study is highly flawed. Their whole enrollment is a joke. And these new studies, 
when you actually do the math and think about what they, they see, they probably have a sensitivity, an effective sensitivity of like 9%. They're claiming 95 or something, aren't they? They're claiming specificity of 90, I don't know the latest, 95, 99.5. Yeah. The sensitivity, they are, they are more and more not saying it because mm. the new studies that come out are prospective studies, like real studies. And they just say, well, we found out of 6,000, we found 19 early stage cancers, right? For example, out of 6,000 patients. So, okay, if you find 19 out of 6,000, like how many early stage cancers in an older population should be there? right, at a minimum, 1% or so should have an early stage cancer. So, aren't, aren't like a third of people going to die of cancer? Yes, but at any given time, right, you have the cross-sectional yeah. uh, kind of dwell rate of what's in the bodies. Uh, there mm -hmm. is a certain assumption. I think it's more like towards 2.5% at that older group because you have a occurrence of cancer of roughly, whatever, 0.8. No one knows because they don't describe exactly the age ranges, of course. So it's all mm -hmm. low. But you probably have a 1%, you know, cancer occurrence in an older population per year that get diagnosed, but then something called the dwell rate. So how maybe the, the detection of cancer happens normally when it's too late because our mm -hmm. system stuck, right? So it, and if you diagnose people with cancer at 1% per year, new cancer cases, how many cancer, early stage cancers do you have in each year actively under the surface? Right, and if they dwell in average for three years, you would have three percent, because in average mm -hmm. case you have three percent who have early stage cancer, and, and a third goes up. Like okay, now it's mm -hmm. visible how you get diagnosed, but the others wait another year, another year, and then come up. So mm -hmm. that gives you basically a good assumption how many cancers you really have in a population. I would say roughly three percent if it's an older population that should be detected if you do early cancer detection. If you detect nineteen out of six thousand that's 19 out of roughly 200 that should be there. And so whatever it is, I don't know if it's 9% or 12% or 5%, but that's not a high sensitivity. Let me know if you guys have been experiencing more of any of the following than you used to. Brain fog, difficulty staying focused, fatigue, muscle weakness or changes in balance and coordination, mood fluctuations, Apathy or lower motivation, sleep issues, changes in sex drive or function, or increased sensitivity to certain foods, or just more digestive stuff going on in general. Now I ask because these are all warning signs that your brain may be struggling. Any one could be an early indicator of serious things to come. And if ignored or left unchecked, especially if you're experiencing more than one, these could significantly increase your risk of dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, these neurodegenerative diseases uh, that include cognitive decline. The secret to unlocking the full potential of your brain comes down to three simple steps. One, precision diagnostics. This is why in our coaching program, we use the most sophisticated brain and neurocognitive testing on the planet. You then fix the deficiencies, those hormones, neurotransmitters and nutrients that may be out of balance. And then you clean up the toxins, the stress and the inflammatory microbes that may be interfering and making the whole process less efficient. I'm going to do two crazy things that I've never done before. I'm offering a 100% money back guarantee, meaning if you follow the prescribed game plan that you and I create together and don't experience a significant trackable measurable improvement in your memory, processing speed, mental clarity, mood and quality of life, I don't want your money. 
I want to give you a full refund. But stick with me because I'm going to level it up even more. If your increased energy, brain health, and mental performance doesn't help you earn at least as much additional income as you invested in the program, I'm also willing to give you a full refund. I wanted to do this so that you know that you have absolutely nothing to lose, everything to gain. If you want to level up, go to biohackercoaching.com. Thank you. Now, if if someone like, if I was working with a client and we wanted to get your cancer screening test from, from Quantigene, is that yeah. accessible? Yes, you're on Serenity. So Serenity does the commercialization of this. Uh, okay. So you would, so, so you would, Call Ashley and Ashley can give you the test. Very straightforward. Not in New York. New York is always exempt. Yeah. <laughs> because New York is a um, problem. Okay. So how do these 20, 20 questions work? So the 20 questions are, as I said, a, a precursor of the bigger Serenity Foundation system. Um, mm-hmm. But they're free and we make sure you get value out of it for free. So you answer the questions, you get a dashboard, and the dashboard tells you if you have any care gaps, right? If you are late to anything you need that is actually official guideline in the United States. And these preventive guidelines actually make sense. So I wouldn't, I'm not too conspiratorial there. They leave out a lot of things. That's the only bad thing. So Mm -hmm. I am not adhering to the guidelines in the sense that I'm doing much more. But what they recommend is definitely something you should do. You should adhere to the guidelines plus X. And the X, we are more cautious in the 20 questions because it's all liability things. We, We still mention it, but we have to be more cautious. So we mark in red, where you're just out of the guidelines. And that's mm-hmm. true. And then there are ways to like basically connect to us. You can pay a little bit and get a care coordinator where we, you know, if you want to have help with better physicians or, you know, they can help you organize whatever you need to organize. And you can upgrade into the Serenity universe where you get the full on beyond standard of care. Okay, cool. But it's a good baseline. So- I mean, the, you know, if you would fix that problem in America, you would have a, ma- that would save you a trillion dollars or something. If the entire population in America would do 20 questions, you save a trillion dollars. And yeah, the population it, health people, that's the interesting thing. They wouldn't even contest that. Medicare would say, yes, we agree. That doesn't mean they pay us, but they would say, like, sure, yeah, get them all to use them. Mm-hmm. They would be good for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're, we're in a situation where if you're, if you're a non-smoker, essentially there's an 80% chance that you're going to die from one of three causes, cancer, heart disease, or including cerebrovascular disease and neurodegenerative disease. Yeah. Did you formulate the screening questions for 20questions.life? Uh, yes. So what you're saying there, this is more a serenity topic where we systematically knocked out these risks. We had a top 13 list. The top 13 these causes of death, uh, if you address them, you can reduce the risk of death by 50%. Not by completely removing it, but what is movable for cancer and cardiovascular and diabetes, liver, uh, kidney disease, liver disease, neurodegenerative. If you do everything right, you reduce the risk of death by 50% just on these. Mm-hmm. And the 20 questions are more, the 20 questions are formulated in a very like medically and legally tight and sound mm-hmm. way because we need to be super robust, right? We cannot say the wrong thing. So this is all very guidelines driven. So it's basically looking through USPSTF guidelines, United States Premier Screening Task Force, uh, or other guidelines from the American Cancer Society and other red recognized guideline systems. And then reverse engineer the questions to actually understand exactly at what point do you trigger what condition. And that is very stress tested to be sure it's always true. Because if we tell someone, don't do this or do this, we are liable. So we need to be right. For sure. 
how, how did you feel when you were formulating the questions? How did you feel about the guidelines within which you had to adhere? Well, as I stated before, I think all these guidelines are very good to adhere to. Well, the vaccination piece we can discuss, that's a different thing. But everything that's non-invasive is clearly good. Is it sufficient? I would say no. So let me put it like this. If you get red flagged by 20 questions, you definitely have a problem. If everything is green, my personal opinion is you're not in the green. Like that's a whole different question. You should then look at serenity and more advanced. Like if you, for example, do uh, Asian American, uh, you do an A1C, you don't do an A1C test because it's not in the guidelines because you're not overweight. Uh, that's a mistake because you have a twice as high rate of you know, problems with diabetes in the Asian American population, even if they're not overweight. And then A1C test costs like literally nothing, costs like 12 bucks on Amazon. So you should do A1C testing much more frequent than the guidelines suggest. So you understand what I mean? Like if the guy, mm-hmm. if you're out of guidelines, bad, just it's full on bad. But if you're inside mm-hmm. the guidelines, there are many things you should do on top, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious too. So here's an example. Um, there, there, there's a number of different studies looking at brain autopsy research with Alzheimer's patients. Some of them showing over 90% of Alzheimer's brain autopsies have Borrelia burgdorferi, the bacteria that's responsible for Lyme disease present. There's a Harvard study showing over 60%. Is this something that can be screened for in your serenity process? Is, this, is that Are those things that you have integrated as potential risks for neurodegenerative disease, you know, heavy metal toxicity, pesticides, there's class action lawsuits with Paraquat and Roundup now, you know, showing that that causes Parkinson's and neurodegenerative disease. Um, and, and, and the evidence is, is becoming more and more conclusive. Is, are those things that you guys have integrated yet or no? I think the answer is yes, we have integrated this indirectly. Let me explain how. By throwing these very high-tech systems against the patient's uh, potential health problems, you are getting much more data out of it. So, for example, in Alzheimer's, we would detect problems in the brain way before there are symptoms. Then, going starting from there, our medical intelligence systems are very likely to surface this problem that you just mentioned, the Burgdorfi issue, for example. And the, so we are much less likely to overlook even fringe and new scientific discoveries than a normal doctor, like infinitely less likely, of course, because we are real time, we are like, we know everything. So the combination of very high precision diagnostics with the ability to not overlook any angle makes this much more powerful. But it's not something that you have to ex-ante integrate, where you say like before you even start, you need to know everything and then test everything. You aim at these foundational things, like foundational intake of data, full genomics and multi-cancer detection, and then complete imaging, and then N plus symptoms, of course, as part of the intake. And then you basically triangulate what's going on. And this triangulation, that's what we call medical intelligence. You want to have total reach. You want to have total depth and total breadth across the entire medical knowledge, including functional medicine, biohacking, any kind of scientific paper that's not recognized by conventional medicine. That's the power of this system. And and how do we address some of the issues with, I mean, there's this top-down procedural structure to Western medicine. And plenty of evidence that some of those standards of care 
are not in the best interest of the patient. I think we saw a lot of people put on ventilators yeah. that died at an alarmingly high rate. In some cases, there was 80%. We see, um, I mean, there's, there's, there's tons of examples. There's people who didn't want blood transfusions for their child unless it was confirmed to be unvaccinated blood and their kid got a blood transfusion and died. How, how do you feel about some of the standard of care that is present and, and limits really good physicians and good companies, like I believe yours is, from truly improving the status quo when I we're mean, kind of stuck in this paradigm? I think what everyone is recognizing who's in any way reasonable is that the medical system, the healthcare system has, I think what everyone can agree to is like has a significant level of corruption going on, right? And science too. What significant means is that 5%, is it 50%, like whatever, that's a debate you can have, but no one is going to say it's all fine. So we know that pharma has a completely out, overweight say in this whole thing, just on lobby spend. I'm just doing a video on that very soon. So it's not even a big secret, right? The, the narrative can be controlled by pharma. Everyone knows that by media spent on advertising, on mainstream media. Uh, we know that the lobbying efforts, we know how that works. So the politicians, they need to listen to someone. The lobbyists are always there. So what's going to happen? So from a patient perspective, I think the, the way you address that is not by saying everyone is stupid and we don't adhere to medical standards because you could just get sued, right? You can't do that. The way you, you need a two-step process as a company that is in medic, medical care. You need to have full conviction that you want to do the right thing, which is not the easiest, right? You need to make this a thing. It's like, no, we are here for the patient. Ideally, you should stay out of insurance because then you get super corrupted because they can just mm -hmm. your money. So you need to be independent of insurance, independent of pharma payments. And you need to get paid by the patient. So whoever pays you has the power. And then you determine what's right. That's the first step. And then you find the right argument why it's right. And that's also part of medical intelligence. We cannot just do the right thing. We have to do the right thing backed by the right evidence. And the more evidence you can collect, you can construct these cases. It's a little bit like a court case in medicine. Every time you do something, you want to have backing, mm -hmm. ideally of other physicians and of, of evidence-based things, right? And the more you do that, there is actually a lot of leeway because there is so much evidence for all kinds of things. So if you are a good physician and she's like, you know what? They want to put you on this antidepressant where they make a lot of money. We think that is highly destructive. All you have to do is do research, show it can be highly destructive. There is a reasonable path and provide an alternative, but you also provide some evidence. Like let's try some keto first or whatever it is. Like I don't want to go into it, but you do research. And like, is, are there more conservative ways of doing something here on a more functional medicine or conventional path? But is this defensible? And also at what point do we have to pull the plug and give them the drug, right? Because you can't be in a situation where a patient dies or something because you're not doing the right thing. Yeah, or, so, or the patient's only capable of implementing so many behavioral changes. Exactly. So you it's have not to enough to actually change their 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 mental state. Yeah, so it's it's a very complicated thing. But the short story is the better you are in medical intelligence, which means the better you are in nailing down a protocol that is very likely effective, that is good for the patient and reasonably easy to understand, right? The more you can win against the 
evil drug or whatever is waiting around the corner. So, <laughs> so, and I'm very, and, anti- and I, don't, I don't think they're all evil. Honestly, like I use some pharma, I use one pharmaceutical and, you know, I do think that they have applications. It's not, I, 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 and, and I don't have a better system to replace Western medicine. I think it's very easy to just, you know, also, I believe, a... like by definition, I believe in Western medicine because Western medicine is in flux and we are Western medicine. We are better. Yes, Western exactly. Medicine. Exactly. So, I, 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 I like mean... asking difficult questions. And sometimes people assume that I am like anti all Western medicine. And I'm not. I'm not. I, I've I, I chopped I almost chopped my finger off with an axe. I went right to the hospital and had them take nearly care of me. All I, drugs, nearly all drugs that exist can save your life under certain circumstances. So I'm not against them, but I'm against yeah. the abuse. Look, look at Vigovi and all that madness. Like, sure, for some people in certain instances, it's good. But making that your strategy to be in shape is not smart. Are you talking about semaglutide? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think, so I have like a first principle where, you know, I can go into the details, but it's good to have a first principle where you don't even need the details because it allows you to bend. And that is every time you are dealing with a problem that is clearly out of your lifestyle and behavior, I would not recommend a drug because there are too many unknown risks and known risks for these drugs that are completely unnecessary to take on when it's just a discipline or knowledge problem, right? So the idea, oh, I have like a high A1C or high fasting glucose because I eat crap all day long and I'm like, I can't fast or something. Then, oh, and I'd rather take the drug. Every drug, especially these drugs, right, that interferes so much with your metabolism by stopping a whole bunch of things. I think it's... It affects like what, glucagon, like peptide one or something like that? Yes. And, and, and blood sugar and that, exactly. that whole sort of metformin-ish pathway. Yeah, and even metformin. I know people like in the biking where they all like metformin, but it's I, I would I don't take metformin. And I always say like I would be very cautious on these things because you're interfering with a system that is very complicated and the odds you're fixing something versus destroying something is very low. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe like a to actually get to an injectable longevity solution, you need something far more sophisticated than a single agent. You need basically, yeah. you, you need to simulate that you are 21 or something in your entire blood structure. That would probably be very effective. But you, then you're talking about highly quantified dosages of thousands and thousands of proteins and lipids and all kinds of stuff. So I think that could totally work. That's my secret longevity plan that I can't execute on right now. But if you look at the studies, like the parabiosis is the only thing that really seems to work, like the mice and the blood, shared blood. Like the, it's clear that there is a- I was a, just talking about that today. The like yeah. the, the young, young, young blood transfer, essentially. Like the, the, if you guys have seen Silicon Valley, watch the Blood Boy episode. <laughs> it's, uh, it's Peter Thiel. <laughs> I know. But the Blood Boy, what doesn't make sense is it's a quanti- quantitative problem, right? So if you get half a liter of blood once a week, that's just not enough. You need five mm-hmm. liters of blood all the time to really have mm-hmm. that effect. So um, I think that's, you know, I'm not against hardcore interventions because clearly at some point we are dying and clearly that's stupid. So I'm not against trying something, but the idea that you take one component like metformin and that kind of works seems a little bit dubious to me. 
I, I, I completely agree. I have a prescription for metformin and I probably take it on average. I take maybe one pill once or twice a week and I take berberine the rest of the time and it's only to hedge that. And I still have, have doubts. I had, I, I've had a, one client that took semaglutide on their own, another client that took terzepatide, which is kind of the next evolution of it. <clears throat> and both have had pretty good results. I had a girl today who's, she's got Lyme disease and a variety of chronic inflammatory conditions, SIBO, parasites, a lot of stuff, and a very difficult time losing weight. We're addressing a lot of the root cause stuff that's going on, but she also wants a boyfriend and is concerned about her weight. And it takes her a lot longer than it would take someone else. And she's like, do you think I'm going to die if I take ter- or if I take semaglutide to lose 30 pounds and then stop? I'm like, I don't think you're going to die. No, you're I think not gonna you'll probably die. be you're fine. Gain it back, but very possible, very possible. And I also said I'm very skeptical of anything that Elon Musk is producing, but that's just <laughs> that's just me and my conspiracy theories. Well, um, I think the people in all these tech modules, they are just, I mean, you know, biology, you need like a very long experience and deep understanding of it to understand this is not a rocket, it's not a car, it's not a computer, it's not software, it's something we don't fully understand. It's extremely mm-hmm. complex and you have to treat it with a meta respect for the system. For example, one of the most effective things I'm doing is, um, you know, purple yams, Japanese purple potatoes, because that's Nice. Because these are proven things, right? The, if Studying natural things and studying where you see real differentials in longevity in populations, that's much more that's much more proven and robust. And you see it's often nutrition plus lifestyle. And, you know, th- that's what I'm always experimenting with. Can I really fine tune my diet? Because that's a safe win. That's a safe win. The injectables... I mean, there are too many risks. It's all not long-term studies. It's all not proven. And of course, pharma says it's safe in the FDA because we know how that works, but you don't know if it's safe. Right. It's very it's very tricky. I, I'd like to end with a few of your top lifestyle interventions or longevity hacks and that sort of thing. And then, and then we'll kind of point people to uh, 20questions.life. But I think that as as someone someone with as much research and wisdom as you have, I'm curious what has made it through your selection criteria to be implemented and stayed as a part of your routine. So I have two big pillars. So there will be a third that has more to do with community and mental. But there are two big pillars that are the primary pillars. Number one is lifestyle. I will talk about this in a second. And the second is early detection. Because we know that cancer is very hard to mitigate. You need to detect them early. You have a high risk of getting cancer, 30% of your lifetime. You need to detect it early and other stuff. So it's a combination of full precision screenings once a year tremendously adds to your survivability. And on the second piece, lifestyle. Lifestyle is two big things. Number one, exercise. And I recommend everyone just watch Peter Atia or someone like that. Like It's pretty straightforward what that means. You need strength. You need VO2 max, like, you know, you need some cardio thing. And generally, you should be in good shape and strong. Not crazy, muscly strong. Get, just get, get three to six hours of zone two cardio per week. <laughs> That's, well, you, you can, it's not that hard, right? You can do some hit training and get in like, you know, 100 minutes a week or something, or do a little zone two longer. You can figure it out. And some basic strength training and not just not just weightlifting, but also Pilates stuff. I do actually Pilates. It's all girls there. But I love I love Pilates, especially on the reformer. Yes. Phenomenal. 
It's very good for core strength. And that's a very important thing. On the nutrition side, so I don't take many supplements. I actually try to not take any supplements. The one thing that just works tremendously for me is magnesium, potassium, zinc, and mm-hmm. some calcium. I don't like the calcium, but it's hard to find something without calcium. What, so, what, what brand of magnesium, potassium, zinc do you take? And what form of magnesium? And what dosage? Citrate. Citrate. Really? That, yes. I thought you were a glycanate guy. <laughs> no, I can tell you the exact brand. Let, let me let me tell you that it's actually Sol Solaray. Okay. Solaray, um, and my favorite right now is yeah, is is calcium, magnesium, and zinc. And the dosages, I'm I'm a little conservative on that too. So it has like if you take four pills, it's seventy seven percent calcium, one hundred nineteen magnesium, and two hundred twenty seven zinc. I only mm-hmm. take three. I don't like four. I don't like to constantly have that elevated because I take this every night. Mm, interesting. Okay. So I try to never overdose on these. I'm very conservative, especially if you make something a routine. Mm-hmm. Because slide, if you always take 200% of something regularly every day, I don't trust anything. Like just be a little more variable and don't. I totally agree. Even vitamin totally D complex, for example, this thing that I love because it has this effect. I do not take this every day. I try to take it maybe once a week. Ca- Calicosifrols in rat poison. Exactly. That's, that's That should set an alarm. Like if, if you look at every supplement as like this could be everything that I think it is or it could make me sick, you will be much more prudent with your choices. I mean, look at vitamin B6 overdose. It's all not very funny. Yeah. Like, don't, I mean, it's, it's, to- it's made from petroleum. B6, like like pyridoxine HCL has petroleum in it. Like yeah. people don't realize that. And then they just take a hundred supplements. Okay, and sorry. And maybe tulipalamine and don't take the cyanide stuff. So it's like all these little things. But as a general rule, I don't like supplements too much, right? I know magnesium, yeah. but magnesium is pretty pure. And uh, on the diet side, fasting is absolute key. Like mm-hmm. I found fasting really like a revelation, intermittent fasting. I started with a 48-hour fast when I was in bad shape. Um, and then, of course, whole foods. And I also recommend look up the blue zones. I don't know. Everyone talks about it, but no one does it. Like look up the blue zones, especially Okinawan diet uh, and these purple yams. I just love that stuff. And then meat, I'm trying to be reasonable, right? I know there's a big debate, but... The nutrition debate is very interesting that all people go all nuts on like, oh, we need radical keto and here's like carnivore. Like, okay, there's the evidence on earth that there's a people that live super long on these diets. We don't. They're all more plant-based, not crazy fascist vegan plant-based, but it's like, no, we. it's mostly plant-based. You can eat pork belly, but make sure it's only two ounces a week. There's no problem. Yeah. And eat three eggs per week. That's totally fine, but not more. Eat a little fish every day, fine, but a little fish, not like 10 tons. And the rest. Totally. And also the tofu debate. Everyone hates tofu. They're like, oh, tofu. What is it? Tofu, soy boys and stuff. <laughs> I mean, if you well, eat if it's, it. If it's got glyphosate in it, I hate it. But if it's organic, I'll eat it. If it's organic, non-GMO, ideally, a little bit of tofu, I don't think it's going to kill you. So. You know, be reasonable and learn. Also, instead of getting lost in your own rabbit holes of theories, why don't you observe the most reasonably observed thing, which is populations that lived for a long time? Because that's the ultimate test. I mean, of course, if you're not genetically Japanese, you also have to consider that might be slightly different. 
So I'm not against mm -hmm. me a little bit more meat if you're Caucasian or whatever, but just be reasonable and cautious. You're dealing with the most complex thing on earth and you don't fully understand it. So you need to be a little more observant and cautious, especially if you implement long-term things. And so the safest thing is just live like a, you know, South Italian or Greek person or, or like an Okinawan and learn from them. I'm Italian and Greek. I got it covered. There you have it. So that's, <laughs> well, this that's, is, how, that's how I think about it. And then you should be fine. I agree. I agree. I saw a post the other day where this this uh, gentleman on, on Instagram was talking about, he was a physician and he was talking about the most, the single most important thing you could do for longevity is lift weights. And I was like, <laughs> maybe. Maybe. And he's like, muscle mass is the most metabolically active tissue in the body. And I'm like, where are all these jacked old people and centurions that you're seeing? I'm like, are, are, exactly. are we just observing different realities or what? where's this coming from? Did you like read a paper? And, and one more thing before we, oh, yeah, a little over time, but the one last thing, like what are the actual KPIs, the indicators, right? Okay, don't, I believe in the BMI 25 thing, like just keep it below. And no one wants to hear that because everyone's above, but keep it below. And there's also an argument against bulking up like crazy. I just don't buy it. Protein clearly <laughs> mTOR everything. Like the protein yeah. obsession is like, are you nuts? Don't you read the papers? Like this cannot be a longevity driver. So mm -hmm. fasting, stay kind of skinny. You can still look, I'm a little muscly, but not too much. I'm always slightly unhappy with belly fat. <laughs> And oh, because I'm like, I thought you were going to stop there. No, <laughs> I'm like be slightly unhappy. <laughs> I, I'm always like, saying, well, if in doubt, be more skinny. I don't get it. Like I know body dysmorphia. I'm not talking to people who have a problem there, but just as a rule of thumb, like 25, keep it below and make mm -hmm. this also a militant thing. Like you can't compromise on this because that's where all the problems start. They start with metabolic conditions. So you can't get there. Cancer, cardiovascular, everything is a function of that thing. Be healthy, not, of course, don't go under 20. Don't be like mega, I also don't believe in 6% body fat. That's also probably not the smartest move long-term. So just hit it like 15, 16 as a male, you know, stay under 25 and take it super seriously and look at your skin and stuff and make sure everything looks good. And then, and of course it doesn't. So do something about it and play around with natural key levers like nutritional balance and a little faster. Totally agree. And that's it's more boring than saying go to my gym and buy my membership and do these weights, but it's just closer to the truth. Yeah, well I think I think we're slowly migrating away from capitalism and hyper consumerism and that whole paradigm that's gotten us here. Um Joe Bakti, this has been a fun conversation. I, I, I appreciate everything that you're doing. For our listeners who have enjoyed everything that you've shared and your wisdom, what is, what, what's your call to action? What can they do to support you and the projects that you're working on and stay up to date with the, the things that you will have coming in the future? So three things. You have to go to 20questions.live, 20questions.live, because that thing is free and helps you guaranteed. It's also the entry point into the serenity. If you want full-on preventative you know, precision screenings, getserenity.life. So getserenity.life is the other website. Um, and if you want to follow me, I actually just launched a YouTube channel where I talk about how to save your life with Joe. That's the name. And you find on YouTube, just Google how to find your, uh, how to save your life with Joe. Joe is just J-O. And then you can watch a bunch of videos. There are more coming very soon. 
Cool. Well, thank you very much, Joe Bakhti. This has been a fun conversation. I uh, I really appreciate you coming on and um, love everything that you're working on. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was fun. The modern man is devolving and at a rapid pace. Men today have an average IQ that's eight points lower than they were just 20 years ago. Men today are 50% more likely to be depressed compared to just 20 years ago, are 300% more likely to be obese compared to just 60 years ago, have sperm counts that are 62% lower than they were just 50 years ago, and have testosterone levels that are about 50% lower than they were just 20 years ago. But the reality is that it doesn't have to be this way. Your manhood, your strength, your power, your energy, your focus, all of these things are within your control. And you just need to recognize that all over the world, there are people that are curing cancer. There are people that are overcoming heart disease. Diabetes is a choice if you have the right tools at your disposal. But if you are one of the men that does not want to follow this pattern and you want to take control of this stuff, you want to have control over your body and mind, then I encourage you to go to biohackercoaching.com, fill out the short form, grab a time to talk with myself or someone from our team. Everything that we do is 100% guaranteed. If you're not absolutely thrilled with the results that you get, I don't want your money. I'll give it back. If you don't get a return, meaning if you don't make more money as a result of us working together because of greater energy, greater health, greater, greater focus, greater mental clarity, thinking faster, working smarter, getting more done in less time, then I don't want your money. So it's no risk to you. I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for being a part of the Biohacking Secrets family. Thank you for supporting this podcast. If you want to level up, go to biohackercoaching.com. Thank you.